Do you know what? What? Now, breaking entertainment news. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Lindsay Lohan claims that she was profiled while wearing a headscarf at a London airport. Why was she doing that? <laughs> well, here's a better Did question. Did she convert? I heard she, she may have converted to Here's to a better Islam. question. She wants to be Ariel in the live-action Little Mermaid. Did she say that? Or she did. She, she does? No, she, she's lobbying for the role. And if so, will they let her smoke underwater? She said that? <laughs> no, I'm curious. Because she smokes. But they... Could you have a mermaid? Could you smoke underwater? I want to welcome everyone to APIL Podcast, where all politics is local. I'm Mike Soupy. And I'm Carla Porter. And today our special guest is Justin Vakula. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Justin. Welcome back to the family. Nice to see you from one podcast to another. So Justin is a longtime friend and uh, associate of ours yep. uh, who moved away from the area. And we chat frequently online but we don't get to see each other very often, very frequently. So we're happy to have him here in the studio today. An impromptu moment. An impromptu moment. Yes, it was a great coincidence that we were recording today and you were in the area and we said, drop on by and be our guest. And we're very, I'm here. We're very happy about that. So uh, we go way back, but you've been doing different things and you have been doing more video then you have been audio podcasting. Right. I've been uploading videos on Stoic philosophy and presenting in person about different topics such as finding meaning in life, handling adversity, and coping with election results, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the podcast. Oh, that sounds really interesting. You, What did you do about coping with... I want to know now. Coping well, with. to go back a bit, Stoic philosophy was largely popularized by ancient Greeks and Romans. Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus are two famous names. They talk about having a sound, rational mind, interpreting events around us and having rational thoughts surrounding them rather than simply reacting to events and looking at events as controlling our emotions to take a step back and to think about how we should think, to be mindful, focus on the present, and not have a focus of control outside of ourselves to say, I have control over my thoughts, my decisions, and my life, and I'm going to deal with things as they come and handle them well, for a lot might be outside of my control. So for the election results, there is a lot of talk that I saw as the sky is falling, some extreme responses, people talking about moving out of the country, committing suicide, making drastic changes in their lives, that they did not like the election results. So I came out and said, well, it's largely something out of your control. Maybe you've put in some time advocating for a particular policy or candidate, but it just hasn't worked out this time. So in the future, maybe you can take steps to get more involved in politics and realize that a lot of the process was outside of your control. How much influence can we really have on a political campaign, especially if we don't have much of a voice, we don't have as much of an audience? could surely be something to think about. So that brings up an important point. I mean, it is difficult in most cases for one individual to have an enormous impact. Although sometimes it does happen, right? Right. Like with the political candidate, that's one person who has an incredible uh, impact on election results. Uh, we've had famous activists uh, in the past, whether it's Dr. Martin Luther King or... Joe the Plumber. Joe the Plumber, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who have had tremendous result, uh, a tremendous impact um, politically. But for the most part, the average citizen, it's very difficult for the average citizen to have such great impact alone. Mm. Right. Maybe we have venues like this where we can reach other people. Maybe we'll have conversations amongst friends, maybe people will already be stuck with the position and not willing to revise their beliefs. Maybe they're just going in pushing the D, the R, the L, whatever happens to be at the poll. Not maybe even looking into the issues and really thinking about it. 
maybe just making a decision for some reason and not putting so much effort into it. So maybe we can put information out there, but people still won't change their minds, consider the issues, consider voting for a different candidate, consider becoming active with a campaign. So what advice, uh, what advice would you give the individual who says, I'm, I'm just completely devastated and distraught over this to the point where, as you said, some people have perhaps contemplated suicide. It's hard to imagine that a person would seriously contemplate. I think people say all kinds of things like, oh, I want to kill myself over this, you know, but I don't know that that's a serious um, statement. But I suppose in some cases it could be. Or the moving out of the country, people were even investigating investigating immigration to another country. perhaps even looking for political asylum. They just felt threatened. What do you say to a person like that? What type of advice could you give them so that they would be able to continue to perform and function in their daily life as they need to? They need to keep themselves together. Like, what types of tools can they use to do that? Well, it can be helpful to recognize that the political pendulum seems to swing back and forth and that one administration comes in, one goes out, a Democrat's in control, a Republican's in control, different administrations, different faces, different people, different policies. It's happened a lot throughout history. Perhaps, although I have some issues with Trump, I've had some issues with certain candidates, it can be easy to say, this candidate is not the candidate I support, so this person is the worst possible thing ever And it's a complete disaster that my candidate lost. People can affiliate so much with a particular candidate or against a particular candidate. The media can get involved saying that a certain candidate is a disaster, that a certain candidate's policies would gratuitously harm some person or individual. And that might be right. But is it going to be such a catastrophe? Is it going to be such a life-altering thing that our daily life is going to be completely devastated? Well, there might be certain changes that happen. There might be certain bad things that can come about. But again, what is really in our control? What can we really do about what's happening? That a candidate's won? Well, the election's decided. So now we have to simply bear with the results and <clears throat> accept them in a way. To have a radical acceptance of what happened, recognizing that that's the case, and doing the best we can. So I, you, I think that at certain points in history perhaps not here inside of this country, but in other countries, election results have killed people. Election results have turned out to be so disastrous that horrid human tragedies have been the result. And you wouldn't counsel someone to just accept those results and just deal with it. Well, I wouldn't say that's the only thing that people would do, but I think that can be part of the puzzle saying that, well, the result is largely out of my control, the result has happened, so now what can we do now that that's the case? How can we be productive? Well, we're still going to go about our daily business, we're still going to look for a sense of purpose in life and maybe change what we can, that if there's a certain policy that we disagree with or that's going to impact people, there there was the, the travel ban that happened recently and some people went out and protested. The ACLU got involved and a stay, to my knowledge, was put forth to say, okay, well, we're going to stop this. They got involved with the political process, so instead of merely complaining, people took action and change was made. So that was something that I see as productive. But what can be destructive? Well, it can be a gratuitous cynicism saying that all has failed, life is pointless, everything is terrible, and that's some of what I've been seeing on social media. Perhaps it's an exaggeration, perhaps it's some shock at the results, as that seemed to be pretty common at the time. Maybe it's died down a little bit now. So accepting is part of it, but actually making a difference, making a change, maybe being more active in the future. Maybe if politics is your thing, you can become active with a campaign and contribute to wherever you can. And even more general things of being nice to people around you, having a sense of purpose, helping others, these can be good things to do. So basically challenging that energy into something more productive and positive. Right, right. Just name-calling or just being nasty Maybe this isn't such a productive way to do things. I've been seeing as the conversations online can get really polarizing. They can be really attacking from all ends, not just one. So that that could be something to stay out of. Good advice. What do you think? What do you call the opposite of stoicism? Well, 
there can be just a reaction where people don't think about what's going on, that they're not mindful. Well, I just of mean the as a situation. like as a as a label. Impulsivity, not in like non stoicism. Well, the, the, the street, the street yeah. terminology that people think about with stoicism <clears throat> is just having a, a steady, a steady gaze about things, about not being so impacted, and maybe stepping back. Like the person has like a poker face; they're stoic about things. You can't really tell what's going on. Some this idea of being really rational, as people think about, but maybe an opposite could be really impulsive and not thinking things through and lashing out at others and being controlled by your emotions in a way where you're not thinking about something and you're just reacting instead of like thinking a things through. That, that could be an example, mm-hmm. yes. Lashing out at others, being angry, um, being controlled by desires that you don't like. Just simply not finding a sense of purpose and meaning in your life and just going about what others say and not critically reflecting on things. Mm-hmm. So do you think that since you have really begun to seriously study stoicism that it has changed your life has the has the study of it made an imp- personal impact with you oh i think definitely so as there's a lot of advice for practical daily living and how to think about things around us thinking about death in particular has been something that comes up a lot in the topic as maybe the ultimate thing that that we can't control is so many people are fearful that they could think that death can take away meaning in life, whereas it can inspire us to actually make more out of this life, the one life that we know we have in making a difference and helping others around us and leaving a good life and making a good time of what we do have, being nice toward others and being self-reflective and taking measures to live a good life, pursuing virtues, pursuing things we find meaningful and making an impact. So, so how about the people who say, I only have one life to live, I'm going to burn the bridges? Burn the bridges. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out. I'm right. going to just do er- I'm going to experience everything I can because I'm going to die anyway. I'm going to do extreme sports. I'm going to do harmful mm-hmm. drugs. I'm going to not get enough sleep. I'm going to eat all the... I'm just going to eat fast food every day. I'm not going to exercise. I'm just going to do things that gratify me, feel good and fun because you only get one life. Yeah, they, they don't really find this to be such a life worth living. They call for moderation a lot in the text. And, well, just because something seems pleasurable or just because something might feel good, we have to think what consequences can there be. So perhaps one might like food, but if they take it to the extreme and overeat, perhaps become obese, unhealthy behavior, they spend all their money on this. They say a lot of things taken to the extreme can be really harmful. So maybe taking things in moderation and pursuing something meaningful that if you think the greatest thing in life is eating food and that's your sole focus then that can't be good it could be part of a good life maybe we can enjoy the company of others and experiencing different cuisines i had empanadas this weekend that was an interesting cultural experience that was something different (laughs) meeting some different people um vegetables called daniel in spanish culture i I don't know why Do do you know why Never heard of that. No. <laughs> just some different, different things. Have you ever heard of Mark? Have you ever eat Mark? Mark, no. Just Luke Daniel. Vegetable. Never had Luke the, the, ser- the server called Daniel. I thought it was Daniel who placed the order, but there, there was just some confusion there. So yeah. some different cultural experiences mm-hmm. there and, and enjoying those little things in life that seem interesting and novel mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. So having new experiences is something nice and learning more about ourselves and others. I guess it depends a lot on the, on, on the individual uh, definition of living a good life, what does that mean to the individual? Right, and people have different skills and abilities in which they can shine. Knowing your purpose, knowing what you're good at can definitely be something helpful. Mm -hmm. That if you're just simply put into a station in life and you're not finding meaning in what you're doing, you're finding something to be too overwhelming or underwhelming, that might not be a good place to be in. Perhaps people have told, well, oh, well, daddy was in accounting, so you should do that too, but there's not any consideration for whether someone likes that career then that might not be a good way to go. Or, oh, you should do this, you should do that, when that's not something people want to do. People can fall into traps of saying that certain things are culturally put upon them and just go down that path without considering a path they want to take on their own. So self-discovery is part of that journey and finding meaning in what's good for you and not destructive to others and not something that's taken to an extreme that can be harmful. I think when you have a good life and a life that you want to live... You want to live it for a long time. You don't want to expire quickly because mm-hmm. then you won't be around to enjoy it. Right. So there's 
huge stunts and everything. That so taking too care much of, of yourself to be able to, yeah, <laughs> taking care of yourself to be able to be around for a long time is a. Well, I know. I important. agree with that. Valuing the life. Yeah. I but I think at the same time you see many people who have a more fortunate life than ninety nine percent of people in human existence will probably ever have. Sure. They still have drug problems. They still yes. don't take care of themselves. They still smoke for some ridiculously stupid <laughs> reason, right? Right, but you're you're looking at their maybe we're looking at their life and saying, wow, they have an enviable mm-hmm. life. Why don't they take better care of themselves? Mm-hmm. But then, but how do they feel inside? If they were just born into money or happen to have a good business and make money, yeah, maybe they, they don't because that's that's where I think the saying comes from that money can't buy happiness. Right, and that comes up a lot in the literature that you'll see people around you who it might seem that you want the things that they have, but maybe you can have the advantage of not wanting those things. And maybe they're confused about what is really good. And then if they think that the good is in all of this expensive purchasing, all this conspicuous consumption, maybe maybe that's not. Is that leading to more problems for them? Is it leading to more concern and worry? Are they becoming overly attached to those things? Well, Are they the ever whole... satisfied with those mm-hmm. things? That's... They're wanting more and more and more and more. And maybe... It's just leading to more concerns or a more minimalistic That's lifestyle. That's the whole Eastern philosophy of detachment of everything and reaching the state of nirvana when you don't have any desires and you don't have any any need for physical things. Or Right. Know. Stoicism doesn't go to an aesthetic extreme mm-hmm. like that where the old tradition of cynicism comes in where some of its practitioners would walk with a cloak and a stick and shun off all possessions. And there was um, one man, Diogenes, who was in the streets in a bathtub and there was, an, I believe, an emperor or some politician who came up to him and wanted to greet him and ask him questions and said, no, you're blocking, you're blocking my view here. Was, he, he was just there living this minimalistic lifestyle, just um, putting a lot of desires off where stoicism calls for more moderation and not an extreme aesthetic thing, maybe like a, a Buddhist monk or some other traditions like that. But there are some parallels for sure. Mm-hmm. There, there is a, a quote in the literature or something of imagine a man in a, in an his fever, he can have a drink, but he's ne- his, thir- his thirst is never quenched. Mm-hmm. Mm. He wants more and more, but is still in a feverish condition. And that's an analogy to the person who just has more wants and wants to say, well, reduce your desires and question whether those desires are, are good things. That's probably one of the most difficult things for humans to do, is to reduce their desires. So it's a lot of self-reflection that's called for in the literature. Not anything mystical, but just being mindful of your current situation and questioning is that really something I need? Is that really something I want? Is this something that's going to make me happy? They're saying, well, happiness can be found in pursuing a well-examined life. Virtues. Got to be difficult for those well. A-type personalities that just can't stop trying to climb. They cannot stop. They can't stop it. Right. They just want more, 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 advancement, advancement, advancement. You know, they have to be the top earner, the top salesperson, yeah. the top golfer, the top politician. They, they, they can't. <clears throat> and I have to say, I kind of feel like... And I know next to nothing about what you're talking about. Only I've watched some of your videos here and there, you know. But it almost seems like today there is no self-reflection because of things like social media except to say that I don't have what this person has or like it's almost like it seems impossible today. Just thinking about real people, not someone who would, would study it and really like ingest it and think about it but like just think about people who you see po- you know putting selfies up on Facebook or whatever yeah, there's not a whole hell of a lot of self reflection going on there people are spending less time looking in the mirror and more time looking right. in the monitor right yeah so i mean you know it's an interesting idea in 2017 that anybody would stop and think about well, what makes me happy or what am I going to do to be have a fulfilled life when everybody just looks at everything everybody else has? Well, especially when all you're day. getting continuous dopamine hits from likes and follows and right. shares. It's really and complicated. Yeah, there, there's talk in the literature also about fame and that a lot of people can crave fame and the attention of others. But what good is it to us if other people think so great of us or have these ideas of us that if we simply live a good life and treat others well, well, mm. shouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't doing good for goodness' sake be enough? that this fame thing, well, people who do some nasty things and people who can harm others, well, they can have a lot of fame too. And then uh, what happens there if people have this fame for a good reason? What what good of it is to us? Maybe today in the social media, well, that can translate into money. 
and not taking that to an extreme, it can pay for people's lives. As some people do some things on the internet full-time as they're creating shows like this, as they're having their own brands on Instagram or like other podcasts or streaming. PewDiePie? PewDiePie, yeah. yeah He's yeah. in so much hot water. Are you following any of that? Yeah, I've been, I've been following that pretty so closely. As he, he was, he he was his, trolling. He took himself yeah. off of... Or did they take him off of Maker YouTube? Studios, who is right. owned by Disney, to my understanding, said, we're not going to have you as a brand anymore, as he, he was just trolling a, we- a website that you could pay someone $5 to do some sort of task, and he was holding up some signs, um, and then there was talk, the Washington Post put out an article saying that he's anti-Semitic, when they weren't really looking into it, he was making a joke, perhaps, again, or again, perhaps the joke was in bad taste, um, but he, he was just like cases. being edgy. And, I think it's know. the idea of the built-in market that he has. It's children. You know, I think about like my nieces and nephews. They live on YouTube. YouTube today is what Disney Channel and Nickelodeon used to be. They watch video games being played. Right, <laughs> like, right. That's, like they, that's, that's what kids do now. Mm-hmm. And when they get into a hot person on YouTube, they believe or will think think anything that person thinks so even on the surface for whatever journalism to misjudge the the joke it's fire i mean there's a real playing with fire thing there because you plant that seed in kids when they're young it's dangerous i think it's dangerous although on the internet it's it's kind of these things pop up where people have like pepe was under fire Mm as they were saying he's a white nationalist symbol and these people are just posting online just um be, being fun with it and just take, taking it to represent anything. And what was it? Hillary Clinton was talking about, oh, Pepe is this dangerous symbol and the alt-right is uh, assembling around Pepe. And so we're talking about, oh, you've declared a war on memes. Is that what happened? Is these people on the Internet, they're just kind of being awful. It's kind of like dark humor or comedy, just doing silly things and looking for um, some kind of reaction from people. They're just trolling. There are you know. a lot of people that are unemployed. Yeah. Yeah. Or doing some shift work. Well, because I'm going to tell you what, the anything happens like this incident in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Which incident? Are the one that didn't happen. That one. Yeah. The hashtag Sweden last night mm-hmm. came up, right? Right. But all of a sudden, anything. You see, how about tiny president? It's the best have you seen any of that? Tiny presidents? Hashtag tiny president. But it was about his hands. There was someone talking about his hands being tiny. No, this is an ex- it's expert photoshopping. Like the, the pictures, I think, are extremely well made. They just crop Trump and they make him yeah, like. So people, people are, like people are trolling Trump. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. But they now they. It's interesting because we we've talked about other podcasts and other projects as there's talk about oh this is harassment this is terrible and now Trump is taking it and well mm. I guess he's he he was a little bit mad at people and maybe his ego is a bit inflated and oh apologize this is terrible wrong and well I don't oh. think that he takes it more than any other I don't think he's taking it more than Hillary Clinton had to take it or Barack Obama. Yeah, it's with a, the birther movement. Of, I mean, well, I for think sure. yeah. that all politicians, but but our memories are short. We forget, you know, how did they troll Bush? How did they troll Kennedy? How did they troll Eisenhower? We don't know. There wasn't social media all of that time. Right, right. You know, but there certainly were cartoons in newspapers. New York Times and all of the major newspapers mm, had yeah. cartoonists that were in the magazines. Yeah, and going back to PewDiePie, there was a Disney cartoon called The Dictator in which Donald Duck was Hitler. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. It's And you know what you know about Disney now, Walt Disney, the yeah. Nazi sympathizer, <laughs> and it, you know, he's got Donald Duck in this outfit. And I mean, it's... Charlie Chaplin was another thing. Was it well, The Great the, Dictator? The Great Dictator, but I mean, he was giving it to Hitler. He yeah, certainly yeah. had it coming. I mean, I don't think, you know, like, <laughs> the trolling's like, been around, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then there's this phenomenon where you did you hear this about these the the whole Bernie Bros phenomenon? Yeah, you know, I, I've I've really, really, really been well, what interested I think is, in I, that. I want to hear your perspective on okay. that because because I know yeah. you have a lot you have a lot of thoughts. But the whole I read something online this week that they were able to trace the IP addresses of a vast majority of those people who were tweeting about Bernie Bros. And it all goes back to, like, Kyrgyzstan. They're, like, <laughs> Russian. It's, like, all Russian 
dissenters trying to like drive this wedge into America. Yeah, I I heard there's a big movement right now. I think it's Macedonia. Like people are making some serious bucks. A lot of these accounts. I, oh, <laughs> you're right. It's it was yeah. Macedonia. Kyrgyzstan. Sorry, Kyrgyzstan. The Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. in Macedonia. Sorry. But it's interesting. I mean, I think the whole. How come I can remember Macedonia and I can't remember? It's like playing risk here. The so. idea, the idea that they are so knowledgeable, that they know what's going to trip our trigger here in this country. It's like it's fascinating. I you talk about understanding that, so people. Look, and, what I was have it? friends in other countries who are very, very politically savvy about mm. what goes on in the United mm. States. You would be surprised. Sure. Whereas your average citizen here in the United States wouldn't know that that. Kyrgyzstan is even a country. Yeah, it may not be. <laughs> or that Fake Mas- news. Or that Fake Macedonia. Countries. Or that Macedonia is a country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, some I have friends that live in other countries that could talk to me about the election and know the characters, know the politicians, mm-hmm. know what's going on. Yeah. It's amazing what they know and what we don't. Well, my brother Tom works for a large pharmaceutical company. And so he's doing international business and talking to these, you know, scientists and market research people all over Europe. And he said that all of their conversations, when they have like a few minutes at the end before the meetings there, it's all they want to talk about. American politics. What's going on in our border and like what does it feel like and what are people saying and, you know, it's – like, we're so insulated because it's all we know. I mean, obviously, you've lived abroad, so you know something else, Carla, but it's all we know. But the world knows what's going on, and they're so connected. Things are so interconnected now. It's it's interesting. Well, that that's true. I find that to be true, mm-hmm. except, because there's always an exception, typically. Brexit? Right? No, not Brexit. Mm-hmm. North Korea. Yeah. They sent, I believe it was CNN, sent a reporter into North Korea with a minder. It was like a whole legal process, right? Mm -hmm. And they pulled people in their town square there. It's not a town. It's a major city. It's like a huge square, public square. Is it Pyongyang? It is. It is. My North Korean pronunciation. (laughs) Pyongyang. Pyongyang, yeah. They sent a reporter to Pyongyang on the square and (laughs) interviewed people. Mm -hmm. What do they know or do they care about the new leader in the United States? Mm -hmm. And they interviewed several people. People were aware that we had a change in leadership. Mm -hmm. Most people knew the new president's last name. They knew it was Trump. Mm -hmm. But the comments that people made were like, he doesn't affect our daily life. That country is so far away. Mm -hmm. They, it doesn't really matter. We don't care about who the president is there. And we don't really have a notion of, or, or really care about Americans daily life. We care about what affects our life. Yeah, and I think one person they interviewed said something about the sanctions. Well, the only the thing that affects uh-huh. us are the sanctions, right. but above and beyond that, it's really not a topic of of discussion every day, because we know that our our dear leader takes care of us, right? And that's all that matters to us. Well, they are so far behind the times. There, did any of them ask who shot Jr. or anything? <laughs> Or what kind of news they're getting from Dallas. their service, yeah. Who shot J.R. Ewing? They don't know who J.R. Ewing is. They know now, because it's like 40 years later or something. Do you think it's they got... Just, it's just getting there. You think they got the... Uh, what did they used to call those things? The communique? <laughs> no. <laughs> not not a... Uh, what, what do you, VCR. VC... What do Betamax? You, Betamax. V- VCR? Did, did they get the tapes? Yeah. They have the tapes. Yeah, I think it's funny. I saw most of that. I saw some of that coverage with my dad, and I was saying, like, you know, these people, if they didn't say the right thing, they're not going home. Well, that's the other thing is the (laughs) the minder was standing (laughs) there, right? You know, they weren't. They didn't have. They weren't able to freely speak. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what the average North Korean in Pyongyang really thinks about Kim Jong Un or any of that stuff, like. 
I, re- I, I really want to go back to the Bernie Bros thing before we get too far. Yeah, away from yeah, that. yeah. So I already have. So it, it was a, a lamentable undercurrent in the left. This idea that if you don't support Hillary, that you support Bernie, it's because you're sexist, it's because you're a misogynist. Mm. And I think this was a lot of discounting the actual arguments against Hillary's position, why people didn't like Hillary as a candidate, why people favored Bernie as a candidate. A lot of people saw Bernie resonating more with the common person, the middle Mm. class, whereas they viewed Hillary as very corporatist and having certain leanings with Wall Street, corporations, bankers, a lot of people in the Democratic wing that really weren't for the middle class, that weren't for the working people, whereas Bernie had a message that resonated a lot with younger crowds, millennials, people in the middle class, and they viewed Hillary as higher class. But instead of actually dealing with these criticisms, a lot of these people are like, oh no, it's the Bernie bros. They hate Hillary because she's a woman. They support Hillary, or they support Bernie because... He's this misogynist, and there were even attacks on him from Black Lives Matter. There were attacks as he recently said something about, well, it's not enough that a person is simply a person of color. They need to have a good policy. They need to have a good platform. We need to think about the candidates that we're backing here. And he got under fire for that. So there were people like Amanda Marcotte, who was infamous for the Duke lacrosse scandal and had supported Hillary in the past, worked with uh, John Edwards' campaign, was removed from a position there that was leading a lot of the charge and a lot of online feminists were attacking people who supported Bernie and writing them off where, okay, sure, there might have been some trolls online who are antagonizing these people who are really easy to antagonize, by the way, but to just discount voters or supporters of Bernie as these Bernie bros, it just seemed to be a really toxic label that they would put for them. Well, Certainly was toxic, but unknowingly toxic. Unknowingly? Uh, knowingly. Oh, knowingly that they had malicious toxic. intent. Yes, of yes, yes, yes. I like, and it's interesting. All of the criticisms that you just brought up, uh, our perceptions that people had about Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. because there are additional ones, right? That that didn't you didn't even mention just her the the whole area of being corrupt of having a whole history you didn't bring up the email you didn't bring up any of the more political criticisms of her Right, the perceptions that people had. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons. There yes, are I a could, lot of reasons. The, there was some, yeah, suspicion with the emails, the Clinton Foundation, the idea that she's just been in politics for a long time and she's talking about certain changes that she wants to make. And even during the debates, Trump said, well, okay, why haven't we seen these changes yet? Right. You've been in there, you've been, you have all your friends, you have all of your buddies who can make the changes, but we haven't seen these yet. Why haven't she these She brought along with her, her husband all the controversy from his presidency just followed, just like attached onto her right. and just came along with her. There are a lot of reasons why uh, why people didn't favor her as as candidate. Yes, even South Park had Hillary as a character for a recent season, and they had her, the only thing that she said at the debate platform that I remembered was, my opponent is a liar and you should not trust him. Right. And some people were saying, well, the Democratic Party didn't have such a great positive message behind it, or Hillary, or that Hillary didn't have such a positive right. message. It was more of, well, I'm not Trump, and, well, I want to do things. And that didn't resonate enough with people. Whereas a more populist message from Trump seemed to resonate a lot. But it's a, it's a really complicated thing of why he won or what motivations voters had. But I think starting from the position of, well, all people who voted for Trump are stupid and uneducated was just a very bad thing as Hillary was casting people off as deplorables, that this idea that all Trump supporters, although that might not have been her intention, but I heard this from a lot of people, that if you vote for Trump, you're terrible. You're this bad person. And not actually thinking of, okay, well, why is it that he's resonating with some voters? Why? No, what are the most, motivations most here? Most people, I think they vote from the perspective of what's in it for me. Most people do everything from the perspective of what's in it for me. Sure. Right. Of course. And what's in it for me. So those those people that had an issue that he wanted to address... And she wasn't addressing that issue, or to their satisfaction, mm-hmm. the vote went to him. And they were both really disliked. Yeah. So I, I wonder if there were another Democratic candidate, such as Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, that might have resonated more with voters, where would it have gone? But even with the big dislike and Hillary being a strong favorite to win the election, well, 
she still lost against perhaps the most disliked candidate and the most troubled ever. candidate Probably in history. ever, yeah. It's mm-hmm. got to be really difficult for her to deal with. And I have, like, no pity for her because she's a public figure, has a very public exposure, put herself out there for 30 years, and it has to, on a lot of levels, for her at home to see the news and hear the words President Trump. Oh, it's got to be her her want to flip her shit. It's got to be very hurtful. She said that it hurts her. She actually said something. She tweeted about him today. Let's see if I can find it. It was news a couple hours ago. While you're looking for that, I have breaking news. I'm breaking news. Can't wait to hear it. The breaking news is that a banner reading Refugees Welcome was unfurled at the Statue of Liberty Tuesday afternoon. Park rangers have taken it down, and they are looking for people, for the people who hung it on the National Monument. There are photos here. I'm... Right now, looking at uh, NBC affiliate from New York, photos on their website, and someone right on the base, I'm going to show it to you guys right now, right on the base of the Statue of Liberty. Wow. That, tell you, that's adventurous. That's no feat. That's no small feat. That's no. no that's so. Well, we've seen people climbing certain locations locally, including and, uh, Trump Tower. <laughs> uh, oh, oh yes, here on our public square, climbing, we've had people climbing. Climbing the Statue of Liberty. That's uh, yeah. That's got to be trespassing too. You know, people just can't. Well, go it's climb. a federal yeah, yeah. federal property, so. So hopefully the media doesn't spin this as Was well. They want to silence or censor them, or that it's some conspiracy from Trump. Well, they'll or, get in trouble. It's a, it measured three feet by 20 feet, so it was large and very visible, uh, unfurled atop the pedestal just before 1 p.m. this afternoon. Yeah, this is this issue of, of borders. There's this idea, especially in the Wilkes-Barre area, that we're this country of immigrants and having the borders open and letting more people in is generally this good thing, although perhaps moderation on that as we were talking before the show about some problems in European countries with some people who might not be in line with cultures. And there there have been some incidents with crime, violence. There was the, what was it, the, the rape incidents on New Year where there were just gangs of people coming through. And it's really sad. So here in the United States, there could be all this fear about immigration, but I don't think really anyone is advocating for completely opening the border and this whole willy-nilly thing, but rather of looking into the people who are coming in, maybe making citizenship easier that can be a way to go forward. But, yeah, it could be a very complicated thing. And how many people are you going to let in? Certain refugees, how many? What are we going to do? But Trump's position seems to be, okay, well, let's just not let anyone in for a certain amount of time and evaluate later. And that got a lot of opposition. As I said, um, the ACLU, maybe earlier in the podcast or before, that they've taken action and gotten involved with this. So that was something productive to do there. Yeah, we actually have spent quite a bit of time, I think, on the immigration mm-hmm. for sure. challenges. So just to give you a little bit of a recap, Hillary Clinton's Twitter post-election has by and large not discussed politics very much, or the president, or the state of things, really. The holidays came up, she had a few like happy holidays things, when she got back to her hometown... On her street, she had a picture of some signs people had left for her. Dog walking in the woods. By and large, she has not really made many comments. When the travel ban was overturned a few weeks ago by all three judges, her tweet was just three to zero. Yeah, yeah. She didn't say a word about it. You know, like, it's smart. I liked that. Then a little bit after that... Maybe she's taking a break. She she touched on Michael Flynn just a little bit, but it's a response to a tweet. She didn't She didn't generate the tweet herself. Now today, Jewish community center threats, cemetery desecration, and online attacks are so troubling, and they need to be stopped. Everyone must speak out, starting with the POTUS. And he did, huh? And he did. Yes. Although there, there was some... There was a lot of talk about hate crimes were on the rise following him being elected and some people blaming Trump directly for it. And Trump must denounce and Trump must Trump's to blame and all of this. I know. I, in all honesty, yeah. Justin, I think denouncing anti-Semitism is such low hanging fruit for a politician. And if he doesn't have the brains <laughs> to say anti-Semitism is bad. 
He didn't. Do, yeah, he, so like, he wouldn't I, come straight out and say it until today. He I mean, he it. he met with Benjamin Netanyahu recently, well, and think, but, but seems I to be very pro-Israel. He's so these pro-Israel, but what about the Jews that live here in this country? I mean, that's one thing to be pro-Israel. Those are political. That's a political right. game there with one country, two country, uh-huh. Middle East peace and all that. But you have people that live right here that have never been to Israel, and they're not going to Israel, yeah, but they're so Jewish. Some idea that Trump is anti-Semitic, like what's the reasoning for that? So, it's, well, I don't know. I think well, that is like a convenient scapegoat he is, here. Potentially. But I think the whole, I think it runs deeper than that. The man, by all accounts, is not personally anti-Semitic, especially considering his children, his daughter and his son-in-law and their grandchildren and so forth are in his family and he seems to treat them well, right? I think it's it goes further. People in his on his team who have white nationalist leanings. <laughs> it's crazy. Like Steve Bannon and and other characters well, um are not necessarily pro Jew. Richard Spencer has been in the news yes. a lot recently. And who's... so Trump has enjoyed the theory. This is not my theory. This is just the prevailing theory that Trump has enjoyed the support that they bring along from the white nationalist right. um, <clears throat> groups. And so that that's why he doesn't outright come out and condemn mm-hmm. and, and basically use the word Jew. I see. So they're going to be at many times people who would support a certain political candidate, but just because they're supported doesn't mean that they endorse whatever the person's putting out. So maybe the Richard Spencers of the world would vote for Trump and want Trump to win, but just because that's the case doesn't mean that Trump holds the views of Spencer and Of companies. course. Mm-hmm. Right, but it, it but could yeah, it could be a thing of like, oh, well, hey, Trump, there's all this, all walk. these issues. Why don't you speak out about this? And yeah, a lot of groups can do that, but just because he says nothing doesn't mean that... He's anti-Semitic. I know, but I feel like the history of anti-Semitism is that if you say nothing, you're anti-Semitic when it comes to the group of social circle. I don't really think that's fair. I mean, has he really spoken out against the plight of people in Darfur? Like, is he against people in Darfur? You know, I agree with that, Justin. Obviously, he hasn't. But Darfur is not here in the United States. Exactly. You know, when you run in the same social circles as Steve Bannon, David Duke, all of these people. That's another saying. You have to... Tell, tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, and that's a small-town ideal. That's why it resonates so much, and it catches fire, I think, because people understand, I know who you are, because I see who you hang out with. Right, right. So, if you don't go out of your way to say, that's not my friend, they're your friend, whether yeah. they are or not. You know, it's uh-huh. like it's just the perception of people. Yeah, because David Duke was was in the game and I, I think was very much in favor of Trump's views on immigration. So there was some talk about that. I don't know whether Trump said something. So maybe if the people are so out and supporting you, is there some sort of obligation for that person to say something rather than staying silent? Okay, so maybe Trump can come out and say, hey, I don't support so-and-so. Well, I don't it like happened. So-and-so. It eventually it happened. He, had mm-hmm. to, he was pressured. Mm-hmm. By the Republican Party to come out and denounce the KKK and David Duke. Right. Eventually he did it, but it took a long time. Now he's being pressured. He was pressured to say something. You know, he didn't mention the word Jews on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal. That's... Yeah, there, so, there were some criticisms that were against Obama. I thought they were pretty unfair. There were some allegations. Oh, you didn't say the Pledge of Allegiance in a certain way. Or yes, you didn't put absolutely. Your hand your heart, or you didn't mention God in a certain speech. Therefore, you're against this group or you're not supportive right. of this they and that. They said that he was atheist. There's mm-hmm. going to be tremendous scrutiny surrounding an individual, yeah, of this public figure. But it seems like there's been a lot of attacks that have been unfair. And I have my criticism of Trump. I, I don't like a lot of his policies. I didn't vote for him. I wouldn't. But this this over the top exaggeration, constant vilification campaign. Because I think that the issues with Trump are very emotional issues. Right. So I think there can be good arguments that you can have against him and countering his policies and saying why you don't why you don't like this policy or that policy or think that he's not a good candidate or a good president, whatever the case might be. But the exaggerations and the attacks, I, I really don't see it as very well placed or productive. I agree with that. But I think the way he's ruling is to almost bury his policy 
and they're really like the real governing is happening with the stuff that CNN's not reporting. He would agree with you. He's smart enough to know how to get us to talk about the stuff that we he doesn't want us to see that's happening. The the shiny objects. Like he puts a lot of shiny objects. This out there. EPA ruling yeah. about dumping wastewater into streams. It was covered for like five minutes. I haven't even heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So they a lot rolled, of different they, topics. They rolled back a regulation that says you know these large surface minings uh, companies in West Virginia and parts of Appalachia, Appalachia, Appalachia. <laughs> You know where it is. <laughs> well, no, here in this region, everyone says Appalachia. Okay. Everyone maybe, says maybe Appalachia. Maybe that's a parts, but, Appala- of- but people from there don't say it that way. Uh, what maybe. do they say, Appalachia? Appalachia. Mm-hmm. So right, maybe it's a function it. of the media, too, that some issues just simply aren't talked about. It's not in their interest. Well, and- just to let you know about it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they basically are allowed, they regulated so that those companies weren't allowed to dump their wastewater into streams. Because by and large, what they're digging out of the ground is not just coal. It's other minerals. It's other elements. It's other garbage. And after they refine it to make it burnable, they're left with like a slurry that they used to have to get rid of in some proper way or just store in a field. Now they roll back the regulations so that you can just pump that stuff into streams, which ends up getting into the water table. Kids drink it and get cancer. And it's this back to this, like, if you don't agree that two and two is four, you can make an argument that the science doesn't work and, like, the kids don't get cancer, but they do. After they put in the regulation, people stopped getting cancer from the water they were drinking there. Now they took away the regulation. You'll see the cancer tick back up. It won't be like... Well, you won't see it probably in Trump's tenure because... He'll be out before people are presenting. Okay, you're right. probably right. Yeah. Shame, I mean, people aren't even, the... But people aren't even talking about exactly. that. Exactly. Well, right. yeah, but there are other things. Like, for example, you don't hear the president talk about the Dakota Pipeline. You don't hear him talk about the Native Americans and the veterans by the thousands that mm-hmm. are out there, water protectors, they mm-hmm. call them. You don't hear him talk directly about them. All you hear him talk about is, I signed the bill to open up the Dakota pipeline and the, the Keystone pipeline to create more jobs, this, that, and the other. But yeah, you don't hear, him, you don't hear him talk about the social issues yeah. and the cost, like you said, the human cost. Yeah, right. And even locally, there, there's this talk of coal mining jobs returning and people yearning for that. And at what cost is a good question for that, too. And is that really reality in northeastern Pennsylvania or Virginia or some of these other places where we've seen so much devastation? And well, we used to go see. We saw Trump at his rallies here, and he would talk about putting coal miners back to work. There's no coal here. There is there, no. There, there's just some tours, maybe at McDade Park. There is a, strip, a tour. Strip mining. Yeah. I mean, it's just reduced. But to that, that's but there's not, no mining. Mining. That's jobs. not going to put ten thousand men no. back to work. No. And are those really jobs that? We that we should bring back. I mean, well, those no, don't seem... They're not. Doesn't seem but to be we great don't refine steel. And he was like, oh, we're going to start making steel, American steel in northeastern Pennsylvania. We haven't made steel here in like 70 years. We don't make it here. It's like an artifact of it's time like with the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Western Pennsylvania. Right? Yeah. And the Anthers. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah, he's a little mixed up on his on his natural resources, where they come from. Everybody wants to be from Scranton. But there were these people (laughs) people at the rallies who would, like, they cheered their heads off when he said stuff like that. They should know better. They can't dig under my house anymore. It'll fall in. Mm. Mine, too. (laughs) (laughs) We have such mine subsidence problems as it is. Yeah, what about other jobs like improving the infrastructure that would seem to have more utility and do better and be more Well, he did talk quite a bit about bridges and highways. He talked about some of that. I mean, the truth is Obama put a ton of money into infrastructure spending, and they didn't scratch the surface of what needs to be fixed in this country. No, he's upset at the airports. I hear Trump talk a lot about airports. Because he's got, he, he's when, you own, when you own when a you plane, <laughs> you care about airports, you care about all that crap. 
We need good runways he's for not, my yeah, plane. Yeah, yeah, he's not yeah. riding the train, right? Yeah. Or the bus. I remember mm-hmm. uh, Mitt, Mitt, Mitt Romney was on the campaign trail, and one of the seemingly most out-of-touch moments was, yeah, I really like NASCAR. My friends are team owners. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you have your, your interest there. Yeah. You, you don't really know what's going on for the common people. You're, you're trying to it's maybe give that populist image, which perhaps worked to his advantage. That's crazy. Uh, I heard from some people. He knows business. He knows how to run a business. He'll know how to run a country. And, uh, but it's like the the reality is that a lot of his businesses fail. Yeah, uh-huh. Atlantic other, Atlantic City has ra- gone to the yeah. wayside, and the the Trump sign was actually removed recently. Yeah, they've removed one, yeah. it. Well, they have uh, security his security counselors from the FBI and the Secret Service and whatever. National Security Agency mm-hmm. recommended that his name be taken off all buildings around the world because they become targets. Mm-hmm. And so they're taking the names down and changing the signs on, on his buildings, every, I guess, everywhere. Oh. So that's interesting. But we've got to wrap it up. Um, it's was been, fast, yeah. it, it was fast because it was a great conversation. Yeah, it was a lot and of fun. It was a lot of fun to catch up with you and talk about uh, politics at the same time. And your perspective. And I think um, if I take one thing away from today's conversation, it is that people control their reaction to things and that as devastating as someone could feel that this election has been for them, which is almost half the population because the other half are ecstatic. Right. But for people who feel that it's uh, it's been horrific. Uh, they could work harder on channeling their energy into productive activities uh, so that things could potentially go their way the next time around. Make sure you stay in touch with your legislators, pay attention to the bills that are out there and the issues. Make your voice heard by calling, right? That's a productive activity would be to call, write, email, go to peaceful protests, make your voice heard, join a cause, join a campaign, and uh, rather than just keyboard whining, keyboard warriors, right? Be the the change you wish to see. Be the change you wish to see. Well, well said, Carla. I'm going to sign off. This has been APIL Podcast, where all politics is local. I'm Mike Soupy. I'm Carla Porter, and thanks again to our guest today, Justin Bakula. Thanks for having me.